Hello and happy Sabbath. Uh, my name is Sung Hoon Kang. And as you can tell from my name, I'm not from United States of America. I'm from South Korea. And I have studied in Heartland College for four years. I studied theology and media. And now I graduated and I work as a Bible instructor in the same college. And I've been invited to be a teacher uh, for the School of Prophets in Hanukkah Church. So I've been truly blessed. Uh, I've been in Hawaii for two weeks now, and it's been a blessing. So this morning, um, I'm not going to preach a sermon. But after much prayer, I decided to share my personal testimony. But before I begin, I want to ask you to bow your heads one more time to ask the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. This freedom to come together and worship you. And Lord, as I share this testimony of the experience that you have allowed me to go through. This is my deepest, sincere prayer that your name will be uplifted and that you will hide me behind your cross that we may see your love and your protection, your guidance in our lives and also help us to be drawn closer to you as a result of this testimony. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. How many of you have food in your freezer? All of you. Praise God. How many of you have clothes on your back? Hopefully all of us, right? <laughs> a roof over your head, a place to sleep? All of you? Praise the Lord. You are richer than 75% of anyone in this world. You are richer than 75% of this world. Now, how many of you have money in your bank? In your wallet? No? <laughs> uh, spare change in somewhere in your room? You are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you wake up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than millions who will not survive this week. If you can attend a church like this without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. You know, if you think about it, there's so many things that's wanting in this world, right? Food, house, money. People who live in this country, 
like this, especially Hawaii, the paradise. It's easy for us to take things for granted, right? It's all e very easy for us to still complain and not be thankful. But you have to realize that we are one of the very few percentage who are so blessed in this world. There's so many things that's lacking in this world. But more than anything, more than food, more than our clothing, more than housings or any other things, there's one thing that's so lacking in this world. Do you know what that is? I read a quotation found in Education 57. The greatest want of the world is not food, it's not money, it's not clothing, it's not housing, but it's, it's the want of man. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heaven fall. That's what the world is lacking. That's what the world is looking for. It's not food, it's not water, it's not money. It's the man who is brave, brave and courageous enough to stand up for the right no matter what happens. That's one thing that's lacking in this world other than anything. So this afternoon or this morning, as I share my testimony, I want to bring out a few principles from the Bible. How can we become a man of God. How can we become a courageous, bold, a brave man of God that will stand for the right thing? The things that God has taught us as a Christian. How can we stand up for God? No matter what circumstances or environment we are in, no matter who we are with, how can we be faithful to God? So I'm going to bring out a few principles and this will be part one of my testimony. And I'm going to continue part two next week. But I'm going to begin with a few of the backgrounds of my uh, testimony. As I said, I come from South Korea. I'm, I was born in a Seventh-day Adventist pastor's home. So I'm, you know so-called PK, pastor's kid, right? <laughs> always get into trouble, always, you know, do bad things and, you know, uh, embarrass the pastor. Um, but as I was growing up, uh, I gone through a lot of different exper experiences. But I decided to uh, study theology, not because I wanted to become a pastor, but I thought I would be lost if I don't learn about God and about the Bible more and solidify my work with God first before I do anything in this world. And as I was studying theology in Korea, somehow God miraculously brought me to this country in Virginia uh, to a school called Harton College. It's a small missionary training school. And 
As I was studying in that school for four years, there was one thing that I really, really struggled with. There was one thing as I neared the graduation, there was one issue that really boggled my mind, and that was my military issue. I knew that as soon as I finished my study in this country, I had to go back to my, my country, South Korea, to serve in the military for two years. Uh, it was not an option, it was not a voluntary service, it was mandatory. Uh, see, in Korea, it's divided into two sections, right? North and the South. And probably most of you know who watch the news, especially recently there are a lot of things going on between North Korea and South Korea. North Korea is communist country. And South Korea is republic like the United States. And I'm from South Korea. But because of these differences, uh, South Koreans are always under the threat of breaking into war with North Korea. We never know when they're going to come back and attack us. So South Korean government requires every single man that's born in South Korea to go through the military training for two years. It's not an option. It's not a voluntary service. It's mandatory for every single man that, are, that is born in my country. We have to go through this training. Basically, in these two years, uh, I'll be learning how to kill. They'll give me gun, and I'll be trained how to shoot and take other people's life in a very efficient way and very quickly. And also, that's not enough, so they'll also teach us how to kill with a dagger or a knife. Just in case we don't have guns or run out of bullets, they also teach us for two years how to kill with knife. All the moves and the points where we can strike. And just in case I don't have any weapons in my hands, they'll also teach me how to kill with bare hands. So basically for two years in the military, I'll be learning how to take other people's life to save mine. And as I was nearing the graduation, I was asking to God, Lord, what should I do as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist young man? Is it okay for me to go through this kind of training and to be trained as a killer? And if it's necessary in the war that I have to be partakers of this war and take other people's life. And the thing is, if once I go through this training and refuse to carry arms during the war, according to martial law, I can be put to death. So I spent a lot of time in prayer, studying the Word of God to see if there is any principles that can help me in this situation. And I study a lot of the church history and spirit of prophecy. And the more I study, the issue became more clearer to me in my mind. And when I thought about Christ, what would Jesus would have done if he was me? The answer became quite clear in my mind. I could not imagine him going through this training to be trained to take other people's life. So as a follower of Christ, I decided to do the same thing. So in November 2006, I went back to my country. And the very following morning, even though I had jet lag and very tired, I went to the military office. And I explained my situation and my religious conviction and politely 
requested for alternative service. I asked them, look, uh, because of my religious conviction, my conscience does not allow me to go through this kind of training. So uh, can you please help me here? Uh, I'm willing to do any kind of alternative service, um, any other social service or anything rather than going into the army. I'm not here to avoid the duty to the nation, so I want to request for alternative service. When I say that, the officers just looked at me and they, they shake their hands and they said, you know, young man, you basically have two options in your case. You either go through this training or you are going to prison. And when I heard that, of course, that's not what I was expecting. So uh, I pleaded with them, look, once again, I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid the duty. I'm willing to do, even if it's longer than two years, if it's something harder than going through armies, I'm, whatever it may be, as long as it does not contradict with my religious conviction, I'm willing to do it. I'm, whatever it might be, just help me out. I'm willing to do, if it's longer, if it's harder, anything, as long as it does not contradict with my religious conviction. And even in the army, if it's not something uh, that's be trained to take other people's life, if I can work as a cook or work in a medic, I'm willing to do it. And then they looked at me once again. They said, we already told you. The current law does not allow any kind of alternative service or any favors for religious reasons. So you either go through this training or you are going to prison. The principle number one that I want to share with you, how can we stand up for God no matter what circumstances we are in? How can we be true to God? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, if you are there, let's read that verse together. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. 1, 2, 3. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Principle number one is that we have to commit ourselves ahead of the time for doing the right thing. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart that he's, gonna, he's not going to define himself. No matter what happens in this Babylonian captivity, that he will not define himself. And we must avoid moral compromise by deciding ahead of the time for doing the right thing. See, if we wait until the crisis, we may not make the right decisions because our minds will be filled with fear and we'll be confused of what to do and what not to do and we may not make the right decisions. So we have to decide ahead of the time for doing the right thing. On our knees, day by day, every morning as we wake up, we have to make up that mind. Lord, no matter what you bring to me tonight, Today, help me to be faithful to you, not by my strength, but by your strength. We have to commit ourselves ahead of the time. If you think about all the people that stood up for God, like Joseph, the spirit of prophecy tells us as he was being sold, as he was go, going through that desert, heading towards Egypt, 
he determined in his heart. He made that commitment ahead of the time. Lord, whatever happens in this Egyptian bondage, help me to be faithful. And when the temptation came, he already knew what to do. He said, how can I do this great sin against God? And he fled because he made up his mind long time ago on his knees. So the victory is already won on his knees when he made up that mind. Lord, by your grace, I'm going to be faithful to you. So we have to make up our mind every morning as we wake up and gain that victory. And through the grace of God, we will be able to withstand no matter what circumstances we are in, not by our own strength, but by depending upon God completely. It is a wrong principle to say that circumstances or environment will determine what we will do. Now, we should be like a compass. Have you seen a compass before? If you are lost, it really helps, right? Why? Because it always points to the same direction. See, the circumstances or environment does not change the direction it points. You take the compass and take to South Korea, it will still point to the same direction. Take to Africa, it will still point to the same direction. You bury in the ground, it still points to the same direction. And you put in the freezer, it still points to the same direction. You burn it down as it burns out, it always points to the same direction. The circumstances or the environment does not change the direction it points. And as a Christian, we should be the same. Our circumstances or who we are with should not change our principles that God has given to us. We should be always able to point to the right direction, no matter where we are, no matter who we are with, no matter what the circumstance may be. So make up your mind today, every day, for doing the right thing. Now going back to the story, when the officers told me that I have to basically choose between going to army or going to prison, and there is no such thing as alternative service, I already made up my mind a long time ago at Heartland. Before even I graduated, if this thing happens to me, if there is no alternative service, I'd rather choose to go to prison than go against the conviction that God has placed in my heart. So I already, I already knew the answer. That was not the time for me to say, oh, officers, you know, can you give me a week? Let me go back to pastor and ask my pastor what to do. No. And I prayed a short prayer in my heart. And I looked at the officers and I said, if that's the case, I'd rather go to the prison than violate the conscience that God has placed in my heart. And I had to sign the paper right there and after a few months, I was sent to prison. And for the first time in my life, I experienced what it feels like to be handcuffed. It was very cold, and it was heavier than what I uh -huh, thought. And after they handcuffed me, they started to bind my body with the rope. And that wasn't enough. They also chained me with other prisoners. So we were all chained together. And I remember all the other prisoners looking at me so young. <laughs> They're like, the one question they ask, do you have cigarette? <laughs> I told them I don't smoke. And then they didn't believe me. Anyways, the guards took us down to, through this underground passage, very dark, very damp 
It was kind of scary. I couldn't even see what's beyond that darkness. And as we were being dragged, the officers, uh, their attitude completely, completely changed before the court and after the court. After we are convicted, uh, he started to treat us like a slave. He was you know, cursing at us, you know, very rough, and just pushing us against the wall, you know, kicking us, and all that. And I started to realize you know, I'm no longer a citizen of South Korea. I'm now a slave. And you know, I had to pray to God, or please help me, because humanly speaking, a fear started to creep into my heart, because I could not see the future, what, ahead, what awaits me after this turn earth. I could not see. Never been to prison before. I've heard a lot of scary stories. <laughs> so I start to pray to God and start to memorize and claim all those Bible promises. And as I do that, all the fears start to go away. It was very strange. As I was starting to pray and you know claim those promises, uh, joys and joy and perfect peace start to fill my heart to the point where I became a little bit excited to see what God is going to do in this experience. <laughs> you know, you had that you know, kind of excitement. Yes, you know, can't wait to see what God is going to do for me. And I arrived in prison. Of course, they stripped me off. Kind of embarrassing. They had to examine my body. Gave me prison garment with a number 1457. So as you see in the TV, you stand against the wall and you <laughs> hold your number and take pictures, side profile and everything. And then after uh, orientation, the guard took me to the building where I was supposed to stay. I'll never forget the first day I walked into that prison. Before I went to prison, I've, I've been to a lot of different countries, almost 20 countries, doing a lot of mission works. And during those times, I had a chance to visit a lot of prisons in different parts of the world and did a lot of prison ministries. But the prison that I was sent in Korea was worse than any other prison that I ever visited. <laughs> in fact, this was built by Japanese during World War II. It was so old and primitive that uh, we are the, one of the last prisoners who stayed in that building. After, uh, after I came out, they said they were going to demolish the whole building because this was too primitive. But anyways, out of all the prisons in Korea, God chose me to be in that very one of the worst prisons I've ever been to. It was worse than what I imagined. It was very dirty. You know, as soon as you walk into the building, you can smell this uh, very distinct odor. It's very unpleasant and very, you know, damp. And on the both side of the aisle, you see all these iron bars and people fighting, shouting, you know, screaming, cursing at each other, and all these hands sticking out of the wall. And, you know, people looking at me with strange uh, look. And I arrived to this door of the cell that I'm supposed to stay. And the guard just opened this thick iron door. And I saw seven people just laying on the floor. There is no bed, there is no mattresses or nothing. These people are just laying on the floor and they just looked at me. And as soon as I glanced the room, I felt like 
every single nerve and every single cell of my body was just refusing to enter the room. I said, there is no way I'm going to stay here for one and a half years. No way. I cannot do that. But the guard just pushed me in, and then I heard the lock behind me. And there was I, with the little pocket Bible in my hands, just standing in that cell. And that was the beginning of my journey. In fact, uh, this suit that I'm wearing was the very clothing that uh, I was wearing when I was sent to prison because I've never been to the court before, so, you know, I thought I had to dress up. I didn't know they would take me right away from the court, so I wasn't expecting that, so I dressed up with the tie and everything and went in, and then I was convicted, and they just dragged me right away. Anyway, so I had nothing in my hands except a small pocket Bible I always carry. And from the moment I entered that prison, this inmate started to give me a hard time. I didn't know why. Later on, I found out that a lot of the people in the prison, especially in that cell, had very negative experience with the Christians outside. So when they found out that I was a Christian, I'm a Christian, they started to give me a hard time in everything. Just to give you some idea, uh, I just walked in, right? And then they told me, okay, what's your name? You know, I'm so-and-so. Why, why are you here? I'm here because of my religious you know, reason. Are you a Christian? Yes. And they said, oh, they looked at each other. I said, man, okay, you go and sit down right in the corner. So I went to the corner and sat down with a nice smile and just looking at people, you know. <laughs> And then next minute, I hear some people just, some, one of the inmates just cursing at me and just, you know, screaming at me and telling me to just get out of that place. So I just quickly jumped out of that spot. And then the inmate said, you know, you cannot sit there because that's my spot. So I said, okay. So I was just standing, you know, not knowing what to do. And then the next minute, the other inmate will tell me to, okay, you take up your prison uniform and hang on the wall. So I would take it off and then, you know, fold it very nicely and just hang it on the wall. And then the next thing, the other inmate stands up and just throws my uniform on the ground and then, you know, curses at me and he said, you know, you, I cannot do this because uh, that's not my spot. So the whole day, they were just mocking me and making fun of me and, you know, they were just, you know, cursing at me. And whenever I tried to open up the Bible and read some Bible text, they, they would just curse at God and, you know, Christians and everything. I've never been placed in a place like that in my whole life. Growing up as a Christian with a, you know, pastor's family, I've been always protected and shielded. In a way, it was a very protected environment that I grew up. It was the first time where I was surrounded by totally atheists not just atheists, but who are very bitter against God and Christians. And I've been never treated that way in my entire life, and I didn't know how to react. <laughs> and I was keep saying to myself, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, I just came in, you know. Um, what's the reason they are being so harsh on me? And that was the longest life of my entire life. I never, I never knew that one day can be that long. And that night, of course, that was Friday. The sun was setting and the Sabbath was drawing. And 
after that long day, I was trying to get some sleep. And the room was so small that everybody just lines up next to each other. We can't even move around. No beds, no mattresses, nothing. There's little, very old and dirty, smelly rag. So you just grab that as a blanket, I guess. And then just lay on the floor. And I realized the lights are on 24 hours. Because people commit suicide and you know, they harm each other. So the lights are just on 24 hours. And I'm a person that I cannot go to sleep if there is any light, any noise, or anything. <laughs> so I'm just laying there. Asking the person next to me, you know, hoping that he'll not get mad at me. Uh, there's a question that I want to ask. What is it? When, when does lights go off? <laughs> and they start to laugh at me again. And they say, man, this is prison. The lights don't go off here. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> so I'm laying there. Away from my family, my friends, all the loved ones. Very lonely. Everything has changed. And you know, I decided the only way that I can go to sleep is you know, pull this smelly rag over my face and you know, cover my face so I can get some sleep. So I covered my face, just laying on the floor. And I started to think about Christ, about Jesus. What he had to give up to come down to this sinful and dark and cursed world to save a sinner like me, all because of me. And compared to the comforts and glory and the things that he had to give up in heaven in order for me to come down to this dark, sinful, cursed world, what I'm going through right now was nothing compared to what he had to give up. And I started to realize more than ever before how much he loves me and what he had gone through just because of me, to save a sinner like me. And when I thought about that, you know, tears started to flow my uh, face. And I, I had to just thank God, you know, thank you so much. Now I appreciate more than ever what you have to gone through. And I want to thank you so much for your sacrifice. And thank you so much for coming down to this earth for me. And I almost felt like an honor or privilege to be part of the suffering of Christ. And I prayed to God, Lord, you know, I want to thank you so much for this experience. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And Lord, please help me and use me in this prison to share that love to other prisoners here, those around me right here. Because I'm going to pass through this experience once, once in my life. And this one journey helped me to share your love to those around me. And I was hoping <laughs> the next day will get better. And I was wrong. Because <laughs> things got worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, they told me to you know, sweep the floor, right? So I was doing my best to sweep the floor. If there's one drop of hair, they'll just smack at me, curse at me, you know, just make fun of God and everything. And one day I remember I was cleaning up one side of the cell. We are constantly just locked into one cell, you know. So I was trying to organize one side of the cell. And once again, I hear, you know, one of the inmates just screaming my name and cursing at me, 
So I looked at back, okay, what did I do wrong this time again? <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, well, you're a shadow. Look at your shadow, it distracts me. So I looked at my shadow and it was over his face. <laughs> and I said, you know, it just distracts me, you know, just go away. So I had to apologize for my shadow, okay, sorry, <laughs> you know. And another time I was just sitting, reading my Bible, and the inmate next to me got so mad, he, he, was, he got into argument with another inmate, and he got just so mad. And he didn't know what to do. And he looked at his side, and he looked at me. And he decided to just punch me on my face. So he was just about to give me a big blow on my face, and I believe God intervened because the guard called my name right at that moment. And the guard told me, your parents are here, Sung-hoon, to visit you. So I was following the guard, going to see my parents for the first time uh, in prison. And I, was, I remember praying to God, Lord, you know, please help me. I, I want to ask for one thing right now. I need one thing. I don't want to cry before my parents. It's already hard for them. I believe it's harder for them than me. So please, I don't want to make it harder for them so I cannot cry in front of them. So please help me to <laughs> not be emotional, you know, not cry, okay? So with my nice smile, you know, when the door opened, I went in smiling, right? And there was my parents and my brother, and as soon as I saw them, I just broke down. I could not control. I, I just cried and cried uncontrollably. The whole time, I could not speak even one word. Because there was somebody that understands me. There, there was somebody that loves me and cares about me. And just that fact was enough for me to just break down. And, you know, the second principle that I want to share with you, there's a reason why I want to share all these things. How can we be faithful to God no matter what happens? How can we stand up for God under any circumstances? How can we be that man, courageous, bold, standing for the right no matter what happens? Principle number one, we have to commit ahead of time, right? The next principle, principle number two, we have to realize that suffering is prize for committing to Jesus Christ. Suffering is prize for committing to Christ. If you turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. If you are there, let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 1, 2, 3. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. How many? All. That means every single of us, if we live godly, if we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, we will know what it means by to be persecuted. This is all. All of us will be persecuted if we follow Jesus Christ. See, Bible does not promise us when we commit to Jesus Christ that our life all of a sudden will become so easy and smooth that there will be no trials. No. It's 
almost the opposite, the Bible says, if we commit to Jesus Christ, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, all shall suffer persecution. Suffering is prize for committing to Jesus Christ. And the Bible is filled with those kind of words. In John chapter 6, 16, verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. And Philippians 1, chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So suffering is the mark of a true Christianity. Why do you think we should not suffer? Loyalty to God involves suffering. Because as soon as we commit ourselves to Christ, Satan knows that he's losing his subjects. So he tries everything to discourage us. He sometimes brings tragedies in our family, right? He sometimes takes something so dear to us, he takes it away. He brings, you know, health issues or different things, anything possible to discourage us. And there's a reason why God allows those things. In our Sabbath school lesson, uh, it was brought out, right? There's a reason why God allows Satan to uh, take, tempt us or uh, bring those sufferings and trials. First, he wants to test our faith. See, it's so easy for us to praise God and, you know, seemingly following God when everything is going wrong. But the question is, when everything goes wrong, are you still willing to love him, love God and follow him? That's the question. See, we may have wrong motivation. We may come to church because, you know, if I come to church, maybe God will strengthen my marriage. If, God, if I come to this church, maybe God will bless in my work. If I come to the church, my, my, probably my children will grow better. We may have wrong motivations. So sometimes God allows us sufferings to see and test the true motivation of following Him. Will we still be willing to follow Him even if He doesn't bless us? Or our motivation is purely based upon what we can get out of Him? So that's the question. The second reason why God allows sufferings in our life is because that helps us to truly depend upon God. See, when we are beaten down, bruised, and crushed, in those deep experiences, we start to cry out for God. We start to realize, you know what? We are nothing. We are not even safe for a moment without Him. And it helps us truly depend upon Him completely. And it also builds our character, right? As it's been pointed out during the Sabbath school lesson, and it also makes us compassionate to one another. Before, we could not just take, when other people make mistakes, we are so judgmental and condemning, right? Man, cannot believe, you know. You know <laughs> That's so little thing, and then, you know, she's so hurt, you know, cannot believe, you know. Be strong, you know. But when we go through sufferings and dark experiences, we start to realize, you know what? I'm no better than any other. You know, now I can understand what she felt, what he felt. It makes us compassionate. It brings sympathy to us. And we become more understanding to one another. And also, faith in God under suffering is one of the strongest witness to others. 
See, under the trial, when we depend ourselves on God and still be able to praise and rejoice under trial, that's the one of the strongest witness for others. And God uses those circumstances to bring other people into the kingdom of God. So there are many reasons why God allows the sufferings in our lives. And loyalty to God involves those sufferings. So commit yourself ahead of the time. Every morning as you wake up, Lord, help me to be faithful. And also expect and don't be surprised when things start to go wrong. And when trials and temptations and tragedies start to happen in your life. But be faithful to God and commit yourself to God. No matter what happens, that you'll stand up for Him. Next week, I'm going to share the miracles that start to happen in that room. You know, things start to change. God starts to do amazing things. And you know, I, there were times, honestly, I asked God, you know what? Out of all the prisons, why did you place me here? Out of all the cells in this prison, why did you, why did you pick this particular cell where everybody is so against Christians and placing me right there? There was a reason. And you know what? After that experience, God placed me to several different places, right? I became caretaker, and I became a barber. I became a head prisoner. All different experiences in prison. Each time when God moves, there was a reason behind it. And miraculous things, miracles start to happen. And I cannot wait to share the things that happened next week as I continue my testimonies. But as I end this first part of my testimony, I want to encourage you to commit yourself ahead of the time and expect the suffering. And I want to read one quotation as I end. It's found in Desire of Ages, page 224. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon man, so there are many blessings that God gives to us, right? But all, of all the gifts that the heaven can bestow upon man, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. So let's take those things as the privilege. You know, we only pass through this world once. That's it, once. You know, do you really realize how privileged we are in a sense? You know, no other universe, right? Even the angels in heaven have, they do not have the opportunity or privilege or honor to stand up for God when everybody is going against them. They do not have that privilege as we do today. As Christians, we have this honor and privilege to stand up for God when all the world is just going against him. We have the privilege. And we do have the privilege to partake in Christ's suffering and to go through this sinful world and yet be faithful to him. No other universe have that privilege and they will never have that privilege throughout the eternity. And we also go through this experience just once. Never again we'll have opportunity to stand up for God in a sinful environment. So I think it's a privilege, right? And honor even to suffer for his sake. So may God bless you. And may us be, may we stand faithful to him 
and to the principles that he had taught us and given into our hands. And I want to end this uh, testimony, and I pray that we have been drawn closer to God as a result of this sharing. And may God bless you, and I'll see you next week.